0: For uh, the month of January, we are doing a different series. It's called Things We Don't Believe. And uh, I want you to think of it like a month of brutal honesty. Just, we're, we're just going to be honest. We aren't going to say the things we think we should say. We're going to instead talk openly and honestly about where we struggle in the Christian walk. Just for one month. The rest of the time, you can do whatever you want to do. But just for this one month, let's just be honest about it. After all, the the list of things that we struggle with is long, isn't it? Isn't it long? The things that we say we believe, the things we pretend to believe or that we want to believe, the things that we make look like we believe, but actually that we struggle with, that are hard, that are difficult to live out things that you might not actually believe. So I made a little list. There's lots of things that could, you know, different ones for different ones of us. So here's my list of things you might not actually believe. You are a missionary. Your words matter. God wants to lead you. We are the church. Worship is more than just singing. And of course... There's power in prayer. I thought we'd start there this morning, with prayer. There's power in prayer. There's a story of a ship out at sea, and there was a big storm and the wind blowing, the rain, and the ship is, it, you know, the waves were capsizing the ship, and so the ship started to go down, and so the captain called all the crew together, and he got everyone on the ship, and it's like the waves are crashing over, and the ship's going down, and so the captain says, does anyone here know how to pray? And all the crew looks at each other, and no one puts up there. He's like, please, does anyone here know how to pray? And finally, one guy says, and the wind's blowing, and he says, yes, I, captain, I know how to pray, pray. And uh, the captain says, "Good. Please go over there and pray. The rest of us are putting on life jackets. We're one short." <laughs> I feel like when <laughs> someone's just someone so you're just getting it, it's okay. I feel like I'm not the guy putting up his hand in the story. So maybe some of you feel like you would be the one putting up your hand, and that's great. You can go sit over there and pray for the rest of us while we talk about this subject, if you want. The truth is that um, I'm with everyone else. I'm with the people who, who would not necessarily admit they could pray, because prayer is hard. It's difficult, we talk a big talk. We say, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Or, oh, dear Lord, thanks for this food. Or, Lord, let your kingdom come. But if we took even just one passage on prayer and we looked at it, I'd say that it's challenging if we look at our own hearts. So a, a passage like James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says this, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, the truth is, we have a hard... I have a hard time with with this, believing that this is true. And I would say that we're not faithful in prayer because we don't believe prayer is powerful. We're not faithful in prayer because we don't believe prayer is powerful. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? There's a a five-year-old boy, and he desperately wanted uh, a baby brother, and so he went to his dad and said, Dad, I really want a baby brother. And his dad kind of got a twinkle in his eye because he knew the real situation, so he said, well, Johnny, if you pray for two months, every day, you will have a new baby brother, so he knew what was going on, so he said, if you pray for two months, you'll have a new baby brother, and Johnny said, really, and dad said, yes, and so Johnny went off, and he prayed every day for one month, and then he went, and he talked to people, and he, he found out that that just doesn't happen talked to grandma and some friends, the neighbors. They said, that you can't just pray and suddenly you'll have a baby brother in a month or two months. And so Johnny stopped praying after one month. And after two months, his mom went to the hospital and she came back and, and was in the room and his dad brought him and said, Johnny, come over here. And they brought him into the room and sure enough, there was a baby brother. His mom had been pregnant. And not only was there one baby brother, but there was two, there was twins. And he was so pumped and excited and his dad brought him aside and said, Johnny, aren't you glad that you prayed? aren't you glad now? And Johnny said, yes, but aren't you glad I stopped when I did? (laughs) The truth is that we pray a lot like Johnny and his dad. A lot of us do. We either, we're afraid to ask for things that have never been done before. We hear like, oh, that's not a thing. And so, oh, okay, well then we shouldn't ask for that. Or like the dad, we're praying for things we already know are going to happen. Well, I already know she's pregnant. I already know we're just a couple months away. Yeah, why don't you pray for that? Because I kind of know it's going to happen anyway. So then I feel pretty good about that prayer. And we do this. We're, you know, some of us feel like maybe this is scary to talk about prayer. Maybe, Maybe you would say, I don't like this. I don't like this discussion. I don't like the way you framed it. And I would say that's okay. My caveat for this morning is you might not like this sermon series. It might not feel good to you because our hearts are often nervous when we're talking about things that scare it. And the re- reaction to that is often defensiveness. So, Right now, you might even feel defensive. You might be like, well, that's not true. That's not how I feel. Why are you saying that about me? So I'll keep talking about me. And then you can feel better about you. See, a few months ago in September, Lauren and I, we were having an argument. That was our yearly argument we had. And it just happened to be in September last year. And so we were having that argument. And actually, we'd gone around already once and we had to separate and take some time to think about and process what we were feeling. And then we came back together to kind of debrief and share a little bit more. And then that debrief time got a little bit heated too. And, you know, I don't know if this is the case for you, but this is the case for us. And so, um, you know, I'm sharing things and, you know, there are hard things. And Lauren said back to me at one point, she said, talking about the first situation, she said, you didn't ask to pray for me because you don't believe in prayer. And I was like, Oh, that is low. Oh. And I was like really angry. And then, you know, we went and we came back. And I was like, that really hurt me. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry. you know in the in the argument, sometimes you say things. And so she apologized and we, we worked it through. But you know what? The things that hurt most are sometimes true things. Or there's a piece of truth in it. And so for me, that that word kept going around in me and I kept wrestling it and I blamed Lauren for saying it, but the truth is that I wrestled it and it hurt me because I felt like there's truth in it. And the truth is not that I don't pray or that I don't believe in prayer at all, but it's something deeper that when my belief drives my behavior, it's different somehow. If I really believe in the power of prayer, if I really believed it then my life would look differently. That's what I realized. If I really 100% believe this my life would look differently. I went to a church planting cadre like a it's a gathering of church planters and we get together every few months and we pray together and we share and you know commiserate and encourage one another and sometimes someone comes and speaks and at this particular one Mark Clark was going to be speaking and we were going to have a Q&A. He's the past founding pastor of Village Church, if you've ever heard of it, like a really big church. And so I was like, oh, I don't, what's Mark Clark going to say to me that's going to help me? I'm just going to feel demoralized by his massive church and how awesome he is. And so I, you know, I wasn't going to go, and then I went anyway, and beforehand we were talking, you know, not Mark and I, but some other guys and I, and Joe, I ended up talking to my friend Joe, who's a church planner in Victoria, and he's struggled for years. His church has been really small. They started with like 5 people and they grew it to 25 and then it grew, you know, shrunk back down to 15 and then up to 20 and 25. It's like I don't ask him anymore, how's your church doing because it's just a it's an awkward conversation. And so I didn't. We were just talking and then he said, "Hey, can I share something exciting with you?" And I said, "Sure." And he said, "I've started to pray." I this incredible thing happened in January, so this was in September. In January, he said, last year, January, I felt compelled to pray for one hour a day. And so he said, so I decided I was going to start to do this. And so I went and began to pray. But he said, I'm a pray without ceasing kind of prayer, which means I pray at like red lights and stuff. And, you know, I pray kind of all the time at different points, but I don't like sit down for a whole hour and pray. So praying was really hard. I said, oh, and I... I commiserated. I thought, that's like me. I'm like that too. And then he said, you know, so I started praying. I didn't know what to pray for for a whole hour. That's a long time. So he said, I made a list of everyone in my church. There was only 25 people, so it was pretty easy. Made this list, and I started praying through the list of people. And at the end of the list, I drew 10 more spaces. And I started praying, Lord, would you fill those spaces? I said, wow, that's cool. And he said, yeah, after a month, the spaces were filled. And so I drew 10 more spaces, and I kept praying every day for an hour a day for my church. And after another month, 10 more spaces were filled. And after another month, 10 more spaces were filled and 10 more spaces. And he said, our church is 120 people now. We're off subsidy. After years and years of struggling, he said, we're like launched out. They said, we're not a church plant anymore. I said, what? That's incredible. That's crazy. And in that moment, as he's sharing this story to me, I, I felt this really loud whisper And it was what Lauren said, but as a question. And I felt like it was the Lord whispering to me, saying, Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe in prayer? And I feel like lots of us struggle. We struggle with praying for lots of reasons, and a couple reasons maybe. One would be that when we pray, nothing happens. Nothing happens. We read these stories in the Bible. People cry out to the Lord. And, you know, they're in trouble. And they cry out to the Lord. And then God acts. And we say, wow, that's so exciting. And we're super pumped. And we, so we go to the Lord with our thing. We say, Lord, here's our thing. And then it doesn't feel like anything happens. And we get discouraged. We lift up the request. Whatever it is, finances or breakthrough or a sign or an open door or healing or help or whatever. And then... It doesn't feel like anything happens. There's a story of a journalist who went to Jerusalem, and you know, he sees this old man at the wall, and so he's like, oh, maybe there's a story here, and he sees him there a couple of days, and he goes and he talks to him and says, hey, w-, you know, what are you praying for? And the old man says, in the morning I pray for world peace, and then I pray for the brotherhood of man, and I go home and have a glass of tea, and I come back to the wall, and I pray for the eradication of illness and disease from the earth. And the journalist says, what? You pray for that every day? How long have you been doing this? And the old man said, I've been doing it for 25 years. And the journalist says, what? You've been praying for these things for 25 years? How does that feel? And the old man says, it feels like I'm talking to a wall. As he prays at the wall. And a lot of times, that's how it can feel. We bring these requests, and it feels like is, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. I will do it. Well, I just did, and nothing happened. So how does that work? And I feel like we stop praying because when we pray, we feel like nothing happens for some of us. And secondly, another reason would be that it doesn't work. Sometimes things happen, but not the things I prayed for. (laughs) It's not the thing I wanted to happen. And I I don't get what I wanted or I don't get what I feel like God should want. Like why wouldn't you want to heal them, God? Why wouldn't you want them safe? Why wouldn't you protect them? Why wouldn't you heal? Why wouldn't you save? Why wouldn't you do this? And we're left at the end of those questions often with Christian platitudes like, you know, God has a plan or God knows best. Or God is in control, or God is sovereign. And we walk away with these things, and they just, they leave us not really wanting to pray. Because if God is in charge of everything, and he's doing what he wants to do, then why would we need to pray? Why would we pray if he's just doing what he wants? And we feel sometimes like God is this immovable force. He's just over there, and he's kind of doing what he wants. And if I say the thing he's going to do anyway, then it's like my prayer gets answered. But if not, then, I don't know. I guess, what's the point of that? And some of us stop praying because deep down, we don't believe that prayer changes anything. So now that you're depressed, why should we pray? That's why we don't pray. Why should we pray? Why we should pray? You know, even as I talk about this, I'm very conscious Of the position I'm in. So. And I feel like it's a lot like. uh, Norm Funk uses this illustration. And I think it's very appropriate this morning. So it's like. When I tell Elijah. My my 12 year old son. To go tell Maddie to clean her room. You know Elijah's downstairs. And I say to Elijah. Elijah it's time to clean rooms. Go tell Maddie she's up in her room. Go tell her to clean her room. Because we're all cleaning our rooms now. And Elijah goes to Maddie's door. And he knocks on the door. Maddie's like what? It's like. Hey, Maddie, clean your room. Maddie's like, no. Elijah comes back to me and says, Maddie won't clean her room. I say, did you tell her that I said to clean her room? He's like, no. I say, okay, well, go tell her dad said that you need to clean your room. And he's like, okay. And he goes back, what? Dad says you need to clean your room. And Maddie's like, ugh, okay, fine. Like, are you cleaning your room? Elijah's like, yeah, okay, okay, fine. Dad said to clean my room. So what I want to, to frame this morning with is, is I'd like you to see me as your brother coming to you and telling you what dad says. So m- my room still needs cleaning too. So I'm working on my room, and because my room needs clean doesn't mean that your room doesn't need cleaning. And dad's, I'm just bringing you the message from dad. And that's why we've got a Bible that we speak from and we talk from, and that's our authority. And God has things he wants to say to you this morning. And the truth is that stuff happens when we pray. Things happen when we pray. This is what the Bible says. The prayer of a righteous person is, has great power as it's working. This is what it says. It says, when God's people, his church, his saints, the righteous of God, when they pray, things happen. One example is in Revelation 5 verse 8 says when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you're not going to see that right now. But there's something happening. Revelation 8 verse 4 goes on. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So there's this picture, you and I are praying, and there's a bowl in heaven, and as you and I pray, something goes into the bowl. Someone's holding the bowl, and the bowl becomes heavier when you and I are praying. We don't see that. And then the prayers are like a sweet smell in heaven. It's like this incense, it's rising up before the throne of God. Your prayers and my prayers, that's what's happening when we pray. And Paul challenges the church to pray because stuff happens. Lots and lots of examples. 1 Timothy 4, 4 verse 5. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Like this thing that was unclean, it was unholy. When we pray over it, it becomes holy or it becomes clean. Something happens. The consistency changes when we pray. Or 2 Corinthians 1.11. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. People go to Paul and say, Paul, how can we help your ministry? Paul says, you could pray. They say, no, no, we want to know really how we could help. Can we give money? Can we come and do something? Paint a building? Can we, you know, move chair? What, what do you want us to do? Paul says, pray. Praying is a thing that I want you to do. Because something's going to happen through the prayers of many. Something's going to change and move. Philemon one twenty two. At the same time, Paul writes, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul says, while you're praying, start to set up the guest room because I believe that your prayers change things. Does Paul stay in that guest room? I don't think so. But he sure believes that prayer will change things to the point where he says, set up the guest room. And who knows how God's going to use that. Or Philippians 119. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul Believes prayer changes things. That's why he keeps telling the churches, all these different churches, but all these different people pray. It changes things, it has an impact. Clearly, for Paul, prayer is, an, is a powerful weapon in our arsenal. He finishes Ephesians, this book on spiritual warfare. At the end, we're talking about the armor. Oh, that's belt. We love the belt and the helmet. Oh, we love the helmet. The shield and the sword. We love those. And then he he says this in chapter 6, verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, pray, pray. It's changing things. It has an impact. God responds to prayer. I remember once I was speaking at a camp and uh, telling Bible stories in my talks, and I had the camp director come up to me at the end of one talk, and he said, you know, I really love that you're here, and I love, you know, your talks, but I really didn't love how you presented God in that story you just told tonight. I said, oh. Oh. Wow, what didn't you like? And he said, well, this part where you said, you know, God was doing this and this, and he said God said this, and then this happened. Like, I didn't like that made God seem like he, you know, he's changing his mind or he doesn't know what's going on. I said, oh, that part was word for word out of the Bible. So I'm like, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the Bible. I didn't write it like that. It's weird to me, too, how sometimes things are phrased or these stories are told. A few examples I'll give you. That story of Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 18. God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The outcries reached him. Judgment is coming. And God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And God says, no, I'm going to tell Abraham. And so he tells Abraham. And then Abraham and God barter. They like bargain back and forth. It's like Abraham intercedes for Sodom. And so Abraham says, you know, God, you're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, like, would you really destroy the, the righteous and the unrighteous at the same time? I mean, what if there's 50 good people in that city? Would you destroy them too? And God says, no, I'll spare the city for 50. And then Abraham says, okay, well, you know, what if five of those people aren't as good as we thought? And, you know, it's like, it's actually 45 people. Would you spare the city for 45? And God says, yes, I'll spare the city for 45. And then Abraham says, well, since we what about 40? God says, "Okay, for 40." And then Abraham starts jumping by tens. "Don't be angry, God. Don't be angry. I just I'm wondering about 30. What about 30? See, Abraham's been to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he knows how bad it is there, and he's worried there's not even 30." And then God says, "For 30." And then Abraham says, "What about for 20?" And then God says, "Yes." And Abraham says, "What about for 10?" And God says, "Yes, I'll spare the city for 10." The city that I was going to destroy a minute ago. No questions asked. I'll spare it for 10. Is God bargain? Or the story of Moses in Numbers 14. God has led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, with signs and wonders and all these amazing things, and then they get to the edge of Canaan. They send in the spies. The spies go in, 12 guys, and 10 come back and say, it's horrible, there's giants, there's walled cities, we'll never win. It's, a, it's like suicide. And two of them say, no, no, we can do this. God's on our side. We can do it. God's Let us here. He's going to lead us in. And the people go crazy. They freak out. They're like, what are we doing here? We're going to die. Oh, my goodness. They listen to the ten, not the two. And they say, we need a new leader. Let's elect a new leader. Moses, pff, you let, you're you leading us to our death. And they get stones. They're going to, like, stone Joshua and Moses. And then they say, we want to go back to Egypt. Who's going to lead us out of e- back to Egypt? and then suddenly the glory of the lord appears at the tent of meeting <sighs> and moses goes down probably everyone's like ah. moses goes down and he meets with the lord and this is what the lord says i'm done with these people i'm done with them after all i did after all they've seen me here in the fire me in the cloud i'm leading them i'm doing all these miracles and they don't they won't believe i'm done I'm going to kill them all and start over with you, Moses, your family, just you. And let's start over. And Moses says, oh, God, you don't want to do that. God, if you do that, what's everyone going to say? All these nations, they all know you brought all these people here. They're going to say you couldn't do it. You are the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and love, forgiving sin. So, would you please, for the sake of your name, pardon these people of their grievous sin? And God says this in verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. According to whose word? Moses? Moses? God says, I've pardoned them. Done. I mean, there's consequences, and they suffer those consequences, but God forgives. That's how it works. Or another amazing story. If you haven't had enough amazing stories yet, Hezekiah told in three places. 2 Kings 20, Isaiah 38, 2 Chronicles 32. Hezekiah is one of the good kings. He's one of the great ones. He follows the Lord. He doesn't turn away. He's a good king. There's no one like him before or after, it says. Hezekiah, he's awesome. Hezekiah, toward the end of his life, he gets sick. And he's in his palace, and he's He's so really, really sick. And Isaiah the prophet comes in to talk to Hezekiah, and he brings him this word from the Lord. And this is the word. Isaiah says to Hezekiah on his bed, he's sick. Isaiah says, get your stuff ready. Get yourself in order. God's taking you home. Your time is done. He's like, okay, that was the message. And then he leaves. Like, wouldn't you love to be a prophet? I mean, like, horrible job, right? That's the message. Okay, he leaves Hezekiah turns to the wall and starts weeping. And and he prays, and this is what Hezekiah prays. He says, now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and I've done what's good in your sight. It's his prayer as he weeps to the wall, an actual wall. Isaiah is walking out of the palace. He's in the middle court. He suddenly stops, and he says, okay, and he goes back. This is why you'd want to be a prophet, because you can hear the Lord like that. And he opens the door. He goes back into Hezekiah, and he says, change the message. God just spoke to me. This is what the Lord says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you, and I will add 15 years to your life. Bing, done. You're like, we should all start praying the prayer of Hezekiah, right? Like, this is a good prayer, right? If we were down on prayers, I mean— God just changed his mind. A minute ago, it was done. He was done. God responds to prayer. God seems to change his direction. He bargains. He forgives. He heals. He changes death dates. Because of prayer. John Wesley says, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Now, you might agree with that or not. John Wesley's not in the Bible. But he believed it because he spent two hours every day praying. And that's something. So how should we pray? So back to me, I was standing in front of Joe. I heard his story. I heard God ask me this, do you believe in prayer? And I said, I don't care about Mark Clark. Whatever he says is irrelevant. The reason I came to Vancouver today was to talk to Joe and hear this story. And so I left, and I committed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to pray an hour a day like that. I want to learn to pray, because I don't pray like that. And so I sat down early in the morning, and I set myself out to pray. And so I said, you know, seemed like a good way Joe did it. So I made a list of everyone in our church. I took the directory, and I made a list on Many pages of paper. We had more than 25. So I made a list. And I put down things that I knew people were struggling with. And I put them in there. And then I started praying through the list. it took a long time. And I prayed through the list. And I added 10 spaces because Joe did it. And it seemed really cool. And I prayed every day for an hour. And you know what? Our church began to grow. First 10, then 25, and then 50, and then 100. It was crazy. I mean, you all know this. And everything got better. Slowly, every marriage struggle in our church got better. Every person who was sick got healed. Every depressed person felt hope. Every financial struggle was met with provision. Even our teenagers didn't have zits anymore. It was amazing. And I decided that now I will write a book about how to pray because I understand it so well. Obviously, you know, the last parts are facetious. The truth is, learning to pray is hard. It's hard. Andrew Murray says, Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. And I feel like learning to pray is like this. That pride has to die. And slowly what happens is that I began to change. Things changed in me. God began working in my heart, helping me to pray, teaching me. What does it look like? What does it mean? And I began opening my heart to trust him more, to trust him with you and all the things you're dealing with and struggling with that sometimes I carry like it's mine. And I bring it to Jesus, and it's beautiful. William Carey says, "...prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness." And so now, at this point in my story, I'll just say if you put pastors on pedestals, then you should kind of plug your ears at this part. If it's going to bother you, if it'd be reduced in your eyes. Otherwise, the truth is that if I, which, which I wanted to share this story in November, three months in, praying every day for an hour a day, today I have to say I stopped. I stopped. December wasn't good for praying an hour a day. It's horrible, because the truth is, I'm just a guy, like you, and I'm not faithful, and I become tired, and it's hard, and I don't see enough results, and I'm disappointed with the outcome, and I'm resistant to perseverance, to this thing of like, you've got to keep going and going and going. Why do you think Paul exhorts the church in almost every letter he writes? Things like Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Because we have to learn to pray with perseverance. That I can say with a lot of authority. <laughs> we got to learn how to do this because it's hard. It's easy to stop. Learning's going to be painful. It's painful to my pride. It's painful to my flesh. It's painful to the self part of me. Like ill-used muscles developing. Like if I'm asked you to do 100 push-ups right now, tomorrow you'd be like, oh, wow, I'm sore. Well, some of you maybe. I'm really sore. Ah, that really hurts. Because we don't use those muscles very much. And the more we use them, the more they, we, we're able to use them. And it's going to hurt to grow. And it develops through patience and perseverance and spending time with Jesus. Romans 12, 12, Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. He keeps saying this over and over because our tendency is not to be constant. And Jesus sets us an example of how we should pray. The disciples are there, and Jesus goes off on his own. He prays privately. He prays publicly, breaking bread and giving thanks He prays in small groups and big groups, and eventually the disciples come and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So God in the flesh, Jesus is there, and Jesus is going to teach them how to pray. What does Jesus say? He says this. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How often are we praying like this? Do we pray daily that God's kingdom would rule and reign here unopposed like it does in heaven? Do we pray daily that God would provide for all our needs as we trust him with those needs, don't we? Are we confessing our sin and and forgiving those who sin against us? Are we praying for God's leading, not into temptation, but God, would you lead me in your ways that I could follow after you? Are we praying daily for deliverance against this battle with evil that is so present in our world? Deliver us, Lord, from evil, from the spiritual forces that oppose you. See, my problem is that I think of prayer like it's a magic incantation. I think it's this, and if you remember the prayer of Jabez, I feel like the church did this. We took those words, and we thought, if we just say these words over and over, it'll be like magic. We'll have this magic reaction. This thing will just happen that we're looking for. I want God to be my magic eight ball or my, my wish-granting genie. I'll just say magic words, and God's going to answer my prayer, and I'm going to say, in the name of Jesus, amen. And then it's going to happen. But James connects confession with prayer, which is interesting. And he's not alone in doing that. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so I would say that if you're looking for a starting point, like I was, that we should start with humility in prayer. Humility. Some of us need to begin a new prayer life with a confession. The confession is, we have not believed in the power of prayer. We have not believed it would change us, And we have not believed it would change situations. We have not spent time learning to pray. We've not persisted in prayer. Someone asked Charles Finney. I'm crying because it's my confession. Someone asked Charles Finney. They said he was this great revivalist. Everywhere he went, revival came. People come to know the Lord. People healed, all this stuff happening. They went to Charles Finney. They said, How do we get revival to come? Tell us what we need to do. And he said, It's really easy. He said, Really? Yeah. He said, Do this, write this down. Go in your room, close the door, kneel down by your bed, and draw a circle around yourself. And then start praying that revival would come in that circle. Because we're so focused on, "Oh God, do that, do that, do that." God says like, "Let's start here. Humble yourself before the Lord, and then watch what He does. Because prayer is powerful, we must learn to become faithful in prayer. I changed my big idea. Because prayer is powerful, we must learn to become faithful in prayer. We don't pray because somewhere deep down we don't believe. Being able to admit this is a struggle is the first step, I think. Being able to say, this is hard for me, is the first step. That deep down, maybe we don't think prayer works, or maybe we don't think, you know, it's, it's working the way I want it to. God isn't doing what I want him to do. And so we stop. But prayer is powerful, and so we should pray. Don't take my word for it. God and Jesus and the whole Bible give this story. Paul, over and over and over, giving this command, this exhortation. God responds to the prayers of his saints, to us. God moves. And prayer is a thing we need to learn. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to hurt a bit. That's what learning is. It's hard. It's not easy learning something. But slowly, over time, in humility, we will become a people of prayer, friends of God who changed the world through our prayer. Let's pray.